Well, hi again, everybody. Welcome into Unanchored Boston. And as always, our show is sponsored by Cold Springs RV, your destination for all things camping and where? We're in New Hampshire, of course. And by the great George Gray at George Gray's Lexington Toyota 409 Mass Ave in Lexington. Speaking of greats, we have a great guest today in the from the Ohio State University. I've got two Ohio guys going against me today. This I don't know if I'll be able to tolerate the uh, you know the whole show with two guys from uh, the state of Ohio. But Bob Lobel, take it away. Introduce our guest. Well, I lost my audio. <laughs> you lost your audio. Oh, shut up. Hold on. <laughs> My audio. <laughs> this is how it goes, Tim. Yeah, you know, two Lynch and Lobel. You know, can uh, you imagine if we were in charge of the engineering department at Channel Four and Channel Five, we'd never get on the air. No. It's a good thing there are other people behind the cameras. It's a good thing, <laughs> right? It doesn't have to be in focus or anything like that. But they're there. Can Ohio? Okay, what were you going to say about Ohio, Lynchy? I missed it. No, two two people from Ohio in this show. Well, you ever hear of Apple Creek, Tim? You ever hear of Apple Creek and you know Worcester and that area? Sure, yeah. I used to. Uh, well, I grew up in Canton, so uh, I know that. Obviously, spent four years at Ohio State, so we used to head head down almost almost through there. Yeah, right on Route Thirty, right across Route Thirty, it goes from Canton to Massillon to Worcester to Mansfield to Ashland or whatever. Yeah, and then you pick up seventy one and head down. Yeah, oh. to the Ohio State University. Oh, stop it, Mike. You know, you we talked about Harvard long enough, and then don't start getting me on Harvard because I have enough stuff on you right now that I could really, you know, it's all right, but we'll take the, the kinder and gentler road. Foxy, still to, I'm still trying to figure out how Mike got into Harvard. <laughs> I'm trying to figure how he got out. <laughs> better. Right, those legacy laws were pretty good back then. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I love the fact that you grew up in Canton, and uh, you obviously played Maslin, right? No, no, I actually played in a much smaller school called uh, Glenwood, which is no longer even there. Glenwood is now a, uh, a junior high school, and the name of the high school is Glen Oak. So, uh, Oakwood, what uh, they built another school in the in the uh, region called Oakwood. And then, uh, so we had two schools for several years, and then they put them both together. Well, that's pretty. I was sure that it would have been you, Maslin would have been on your schedule, but I, the Maslin sophomores were on our schedule, in, in where I went. To. <laughs> Seriously, that's I'm not lying. We played well, the Maslin sophomores. If you grow up in Canton, Ohio, and you don't play football, they're going to look at you kind of funny. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? How that. That was one of the things I was going to ask you about. You know, obviously the Pro Football Hall of Fame is there, but Miami of Ohio, the cradle of coaches, what is it about that area that is so uh, drawn to football? It was, it's just kind of amazing. Well, I think it's just, you know, obviously the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame is there, so it's supposedly the the birthplace of, uh, of uh, professional football in the United States. So uh, they, they take their – football serious but to be honest with you uh growing up in canton the 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 local paper there is called the canton repository and when you open up the sports page unlike the the boston globe the very first thing on the on on the front page of sports is always high school sports it goes high school then it goes college and then it goes professional they they could care less about the professional teams wow you know, you went to uh, what? Why do you? Why does Ohio State? Why do you guys call it the Ohio State University? 
Like, we don't call it the Harvard. We call it Harvard. We don't call it. Why do you have to call it the Ohio State University? Because of, because of Ohio University. See, they don't. we don't want to be confused with, uh, you know, a, a, a Mac team. It's the Ohio State University. It's the official state university of Ohio. I mean, is that so hard That's to understand? Ohio, Ohio University is in Athens. They're two That's different. That's correct. Right. And that's a private school, frankly. So, you know, or no, I, no, I guess it's public too. Yeah. It is public. Yeah. Anyway, four years. Uh, well, here's the thing you're a co captain your senior year. You played under Woody Hayes. You and I have always had fascinating conversations about Woody Hayes. And I know you had, you know, like a great career in the NFL, but I've always been fascinated by your four years at Ohio State because you played in four Rose Bowls. I mean, that, that may, you may be the only guy other than other, maybe your teammates that played in four Rose Bowls. Did you, how many did you win? Well, you had to ask that question, huh? <laughs> I'm not yeah, sure. Actually, I thought you were going to say we won all four. Un unfortunately, no, we won one. And uh, I'm sorry and I asked actually, the question. Yeah. And we actually lost the national championship twice. Oh God. And, and unfortunately the year we won, um, Trying to think, I, I think we had uh, that year. We had uh, we beat UCLA, which was my senior year, but we but we had a tie during the regular season. So back then they didn't have there was no playoff. Everyone just kind of voted to see who the best team in the country was. So because of that tie, uh, we ended up finishing second instead of first in the, in the country. Well, I'm sorry I brought it up, and I thought yeah, the was was. Four Rose right. Bowls was a pretty damn good, you know. You know, Harvard, Harvard run the, won the Rose Bowl in 1920, you know. Oh, please. Oregon. You know, uh, <laughs> they played the Sisters of the Poor. <laughs> Oregon. We played Oregon. And, and oh, the, oh. They the Ducks or the Beavers? <laughs> the Ducks. Okay. And it's, it's up in Harvard Stadium in the end zone. It has uh, – Rose Bowl, uh, you know, nineteen nineteen season Rose Bowl, of, you know, January first. Where's it say? Where's it put the MIT balloon? And what year was that? <laughs> yeah, what year was that? That was what century was that? Yeah, they. Let me ask you, Tim. I, I had um, I went to school with um, one of my roommates. His older brother, he's older than we are, uh, played for Woody Hayes, and he said when they were going to uh, the Rose Bowl, um, about an hour out of out of Pasadena. The trainers came down and started taping ankles on the plane. And the minute they get off the plane, there was buses on the tarmac. They took them right to practice, and they they didn't stay in one of the hotels that the Rose Bowl committee reserved for them. They stayed in a monastery. Yeah, I remember it well. We stayed there as well. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you yeah, know you were going to be staying there? Tell me about it. And it was a little. It was a little scary, you know. He. He, I don't know. He loved he loved that monastery, and you know you'd hear the the, the damn bells would ring every hour on the hour, which wasn't wasn't the best thing. I think he'd be better off in a hotel. But uh, yeah, Woody had his his uh, he had his ways, and and no one was going to change him. And you know, I always say that you know going to going to Ohio State and playing for Woody, he made the rest of my life pretty easy. <laughs> Why did you go there? I mean, I know it's a state school, and I, I understand, I understand the, the mentality. But, but you chose to play for Woody Hayes. That's that's going into the fire. You could have played well, for a lot of a lot easier situations. Yeah, the reality was I was not. I I got hurt my uh, 
senior year in in uh, in high school, and I had to have a, a I actually ruptured a kidney, and had an, and had knee surgery, so I I really only played uh, about four games, and so I wasn't really heavily recruited, and I was getting recruited by by, uh, by Kent State. I actually was almost committed to go to Kent State when I think Ray Dorr was the coach there, and uh, so it's mostly Mid American schools. North Carolina recruited me. Toledo, Bowling Green, um, Ohio University. Uh, to be honest with you, Ohio State was not recruiting me, and I, 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 it, it pains me to, to to give her this much credit. But my my wife actually went to Ohio State the year before, so uh, and we were we were not married, obviously, but we were certainly dating. And um, she worked in this little uh, uh, breakfast spot in Canton, Ohio, uh, waiting tables during the summer and. She, she there was an older gentleman who was there that uh, would always come in almost every every morning for breakfast and uh, she, he'd always strike up a conversation with her and you know I, I don't blame him for that um, and he claimed that he, he was asking about her boyfriend and she and she said yeah he plays football and he's thinking about going to Kent State or whatever he goes well has he ever considered Ohio State and and uh, she says, oh, yeah, I'd love to go to Ohio State. That's because that's where I went this year. But they're not recruiting him. He goes, well, let me uh, let me make a couple of phone calls. And to be honest with you, he did. He, he says, oh, I'm friends with Woody Hayes. And, you know, she's thinking, yeah, yeah that's a crock of shit. But, um, <laughs> oops, sorry. No, it's all right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so then about a week later, I get a call, you know, and uh, George Hill, who was a defensive coordinator, shows up at uh, – shows up at my school and they said, well, would you like to come? And I'm going, Oh man, I'd love to come. And, uh, they, we sent them some film down and, and, uh, we, uh, to be honest with you, they had a really bad recruiting year that year. Uh, although we did have Archie Griffin in that class. So you can't say, yeah, can't say it was too bad, but realistically we only had, uh, 12 guys on scholarship and which is unusual because normally you have about 18 to 20 and, um, uh, Somewhere, I don't know, uh, around my junior or senior year, I, I, there was this list that became available that showed the uh, the ranking of what where you were on that list. And I was I was number 12, but it, it worked out. Did you play safety in high school? And, and what, Well, you must have played both ways in high school. And Yeah, uh, in, high, in high school, you never step off the field. I mean, you're on right. – Right. You're on the kickoff team. If you kick off, you're on the kickoff return team. If you if you're re receiving, you're on the punt team, the punt return team. If there's a safety, you're on that. So and you're playing offense and defense both. So, yeah. And so I be honest with you, when I went to Ohio State, um, they the we we just showed up for the first day, got our pads, got our numbers, and. Um, it was it, it wasn't necessarily a good sign for me when I got my number because I looked around and. I think they gave me number 47 and I looked around and there were two other 47s, which <laughs> didn't, didn't bode too well because they must've had 150, 130 guys when he was trying out first off. And uh, when they went to, uh, then they, they do this whole big team picture and then they, then they say, okay, we need all the freshmen over here. Or we're going to take the freshman picture. And I said, okay. So we go over there and he said, all right, give me all the uh, freshman offensive backs. So I look at this group that goes over, and Archie was one of them. And Archie was, and I, I knew we ran the I formation. And I'm not going to be a fullback, 
I was going to be a tailback. So Archie's there. Uh, Woody, Ro- Woody Roach was there. There were like six running backs that went over. And they and then they said, all right, the defensive backs, you go over there. And one guy went over. And I said, let's see, six for one position, <laughs> two, four positions. I just became a defensive back. So. Smart move. You could have gotten into Harvard with that logic. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it was happen. good enough to get you drafted in the first round in the NFL. Yeah, and, that uh, was uh, that was interesting. I'll tell you what, no one was more surprised than me. Um, you know, I, people had had said that I could possibly be drafted, you know, in, in the first three to four rounds, but <clears throat> I certainly didn't expect to, to be drafted in the first. I think it was – uh, 21 at the time. And, um, I wasn't even at home. I, I, I was doing a, some type of, uh, uh, thing on a TV show for, for a charity. And the, the TV station got a nice scoop because I was there in the studio when they got the call, I wasn't home. And, and, uh, wow. Debbie, my wife said, well, he's down at this studio. You can try to get him there. And they got me down there. And so that, they got a, a this one station in Columbus got a very nice scoop getting me in the studio as soon as I got drafted. What made you? What do you think made you such a good player? Uh, other than you know you weren't a big guy. I don't know that you're unnecessarily fast. Maybe you were, but what what do you what attributes made number forty eight Tim Fox a first round draft pick and had, gave him a decade in the National Football League? Um. I mean that's hard to hard to say. I think I know that's uh, why I'm asking you. Some of it had to do with the, obviously your upbringing. Uh, my father was a coach. Uh, he coached a little bit of football, but mostly basketball. But I think you know, growing up, I played every sport, and um, you know, we didn't concentrate on on football. Certainly, you know, I played football, basketball, track, tennis, um, and I think all those sports tend to. Uh, make you a, a better athlete and when you start looking at what the attributes of good defensive backs i mean you have to be a pretty good all-around athlete you have to be able to run backwards forwards turn do all those things and then um i i like to uh i enjoyed hitting you know that was uh, uh i always felt like i was not the biggest guy and the strongest guy so i was always trying to hit the guy the hardest and when I was my first year in in, uh, in Pop Warner, I didn't play till I was 12. But uh, our team uh, won the city championship, which was a which was a big deal in Canton. But about halfway through the season, they uh, some of the parents on the other teams tried to get me banned from the league because you know 12 people aren't hitting that hard. Well, I was hitting pretty hard, and they, they didn't like that. We had a bunch of kids get hurt. So, unfortunately. Uh, wow. my, my my dad was a uh, was a high school coach as well. He coached three sports, but he used to always. And he may have told you this when you bumped into him, but he loved to bring up the fact that Woody Hayes always maintained that the best athlete he ever coached was Tim Fox. And my wow. father reminded me of that over and over again. I said I wasn't that bad myself, Dad. He said no, but you were no Tim Fox. He said, but. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> That's that's quite a moniker, quite an honor to come from Woody Hayes. Amazing. Yeah, that is. Uh, I I'm not even sure if I'd ever heard that before, but that's that's yeah. impressive. But, well, he used to get he used to get mad at me um, 
because <laughs> I was somewhat of a free spirit, and he was a, certainly a, a disciplinarian. But um, in my senior year, I remember uh, I always said if I if I scored a touchdown, I'd do a front flip in the end zone. And uh, <laughs> everyone would say, well, you know, I don't know what he's going to like that. Uh, that's probably not a good idea because he, he always hated the, the uh, end zone celebrations. And, you know, his, his big thing was, you know, act like you've been there before and, and, the, and you belong there. And so, uh, but I mean, you know, as a defensive player, you don't have that many opportunities. So I had, uh, I had an interception return for a touchdown and I had a punt return for a touchdown. And after those, I did the, the front flip, landed on my feet and then, then, then spiked the ball. And I remember that the, the following Sunday we're in the, uh, uh, film room and the play is coming up and they run the play and the, and the cameraman kept the thing going and he got it on film and, and Woody shut the projector off and I'm going, Oh shit, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> uh, and he, and he, he, he just, he goes, you know, God damn it. I hate celebrations, but that's an athletic move. That's an athletic move. <laughs> maybe, oh, that's why, okay. maybe that's why you're the best athlete of a coach. Yeah, it could be, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. There's been an awful lot of great athletes uh, that played for Woody. So I, I think uh, another time I got in trouble from him because we were out in the Rose Bowl and we used to stay at the uh, – we always stayed at the Huntington Sheraton Hotel. That was during the two weeks before the Rose Bowl. Then, as, as you mentioned, we always went to the monastery the night before the game. Um, but they had this walkway on the second floor that went by the uh, that went by the deep end of the pool. And it was about, I don't know, probably <laughs> 10, 10 feet of a sidewalk from the walkway and then the pool. And and uh, pretty tempting. I, somebody uh, made me a bet or something, and so uh, I got up on the railing and dove over the ten feet and into the deep end of the pool. Oh my and, god! And word got to Woody on that one, and <clears throat> that wasn't good either. That was that was I got my own room in the monastery for that one. <laughs> but oh, your relationship with him over the course of your four years there had to be really good. I mean, it had to be almost a continuation of father-son relationship being, you know, the influence that coaches have over their players in that situation. Yeah. It's unique. Yeah, that, it, it definitely had a tremendous influence on, on the rest of my life. Uh, you know, not only in football, but just in life, because, you, you know, he, he really wasn't a great football coach. <laughs> I mean, we we ran the most basic offense you could run. Uh, you know, it was the old uh, three yards and a cloud of dust offense. And I think, um, you know, Cornelius Green was our quarterback uh, my senior year. And, and I think he went like uh, 18 for 36, not in a game, but for the season. And we, only, <laughs> we only threw the ball 36 times in 11 games. So, uh, so you know, he – he he wasn't a, a a big aficionado of fancy offenses and stuff, but when it came to uh, life's lessons and and discipline and doing the right thing and and you know he would he he made us do stuff for the various charities around town, um, you know he was just a tremendous uh, builder of character and and you know he was 
adamant, absolutely adamant about players graduating that are on scholarship. And, you know, and he, he's, I would always say, you know, I, I'm, if I can't get you through school, I'm cheating you. You're playing football for me. I'm getting you an education. And you did not want to, I mean, he would look at every player's grades every, uh, every quarter. And if you were having uh, a, a bad time in a subject, if you were getting a D or if God knows if you, were bad, you did not want to go in front of him because eventually you'd had to, you had to go to study table. And if you were doing poorly enough, you'd have to sit in his office and, and he'd be, he, all right, all right, God damn it. Bring, bring your books in here. Bring, 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 uh, what's, what subject, uh, 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 history. Okay. All right. Where are you? And he'd take the book and he'd start reading to you. And he, God, I mean, you gotta, you gotta listen now. You gotta listen. And he, what chapter? Uh, <laughs> listen to him, read the chapters. And then heaven forbid you, you, you failed after that. You'd be in big trouble. Wow. Let me, let me, what, what uh, I, I'm, I'm told that he was a great historian. Was <laughs> a lot of military leaders. Oh, <laughs> uh, we heard more, more, uh, uh, World War II stories and, uh, and, uh, oh God, he, and he, he hated, just hated the Japanese. I mean, <laughs> we, we heard about Pearl Harbor so many times and in, in, in so many bad words. He called them bad names. Damn, we're not gonna. If he, if I heard this once, I heard it a hundred times. We're not gonna let those hiney bastards sneak up behind us and hit us over the back of the head with a sock of shit. I don't even know what that means, but he used to say that all the time. I think that was the truth. Let me let me just take a break here and, and get us on the road with a Cold Springs RV camper. Okay, give me. Give us a break here, uh, Tim. Right, right this is good. This is really good. We're going to pick it up where we left off. But there's a fantastic selection of motorhomes available at Cold Springs RV. And there in Ware, New Hampshire, go uh, Tim's in Hull. And he's got a place in Marco Island in Florida. And he's been out west and everything else. So he's done his share of traveling. But you got to check out the deals that uh, enjoy the pressure-free environment of what Cold Springs RV can do to this. They have a large display of pop-ups for summer camping fun, and we got a lot of summer left. Labor Day is a long way off, so still get ready for a great August and September and October coming up. So learn more online at coldspringsrv.com. Make it a summer to remember, and it's going to be a summer to remember. This is a show to remember with a camper from Cold Springs RV. That's Cold Springs RV in Ware, New Hampshire, which is just sure. west of uh, Manchester, Town, and uh, uh, Tim, Mike's got a great question for you that pertains to Cold Springs RV and the, what we call the Lobie Cruiser. So you remember John Madden had the Madden Cruiser because he was afraid to oh, fly? He took it sure, everywhere. yeah. Well, the good people at Cold Springs RV, they're still in the production stages right now, but they're going to design a Lobie Cruiser. Mm -hmm. that Loby can, <laughs> can take. And he's going he's gonna to let our guests on the show borrow the, the Loby Cruiser once it's finally built by our Cold Springs RV and drive cross-country. The question is, for you, Tim Fox, who would you like to have riding shotgun? Someone you could have a conversation with as you ride cross-country in your Cold Springs Loby Cruiser RV. 
Anybody, uh, past, present, alive, or dead? I don't know. It's a tough question. Wow, yeah. I mean, uh, anybody? Uh, anybody. No. Even Margot Robbie. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe Donald Trump. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Hey, they'd be entertaining, you know? <laughs> What a great answer! That's uh, I'd have to say that's that's a real that's got to be in the lead right now. A lot of Belichicks, and we had a couple Parcells, and but no, the Donald Trump thing is out there. Oh yeah, well Belichick, if you rode with him, he wouldn't talk to you the whole way. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't say too much. No, uh, Parcells would be entertaining. Yeah, yeah, Tuna would be great. Yeah, he he was. Uh, uh, you guys had him, right? For uh, were you around when you, when Tuna was an assistant? He was, he was our uh, he was our linebacker coach, and uh, he coached the inside linebackers. And he actually brought uh, a whole new kind of defensive structure uh, to the Patriots that one year. And and uh, he was he, he was he was good. We we enjoyed him. He was tough. <laughs> I got to tell you, he was very tough. He used to give me a hard time all the time about uh you know we used to back in the old stadium after games and stuff we used to be able to go up to the upstairs they had that club up there for the uh i forget what it was what it was called so after games we'd go up there and and uh, we were allowed to have a couple of cocktails and parcells was no stranger to cocktails himself so uh we'd be up there after a game particularly after a win and you know we'd invite a little bit and <clears throat> After a couple of cocktails, I'm sitting next to him, and uh, he goes, "You know, Foxy, you're a pretty good. You're a pretty good guy. You're a good athlete, you know. But, but I, I really think you don't work that hard at it. I think you need to spend a little bit more time, take the game a little bit more seriously. I mean, you're always screwing around, and you know, spend some time in the weight room, get a little more workout to you. And I, and I, and I looked at him, and I had just just enough beers and i said you fat fuck you <laughs> you have no idea what i do to work out what i do how much i work and i watched you after practice take an ice cream bar and go sit in the friggin' sauna and you're gonna give me a hard time about not working hard enough <laughs> and he goes, well you might have a point there <laughs> I don't know, Foxy. Everybody picked on you. You know, every you know all these coaches for some reason. Who was the? Who would you, you say Woody Hayes wasn't that great a football coach? Uh, X and his O's. Who was in your mind that you played for was the best coach that you ever had? Um, you know, probably, uh, and they weren't even probably a, a a head coach. You know, I had a. My defensive backfield coach, when I came to the Patriots, my rookie year, was a guy by the name of Larry Weaver. And I learned more from him than, you know, any coach, any other coach in 12 years playing defensive back. Wow. And uh, he actually left the Patriots. And then I had a, a, a parade of defensive backfield coaches with the Patriots. I, we had a different one almost every year. And, and none of them were worth a shit. Uh, they didn't, you know, they, they could tell you where you needed to be, you know, well, on cover two, you got deep half. Yeah, okay, I know that. But what, what you, 
tell me what I need to do when I get there. How do I, how do I play better when I'm in the path? Uh, and, and, and Larry was really the only one who could do that. And then he actually went to San Diego and he was the one that orchestrated the trade for me to come from new England to San Diego. And he was, uh, uh, he was then the, believe it or not, the offensive coordinator at, in San Diego under Don Coriel. So he, he was a big influence on my professional career. I mean, he taught me a lot of things that, you know, I can, I can talk to guys today that are playing in the national football league that would have no, no idea of some of the stuff that he taught me. I mean, it, it was, it was pretty incredible, but it, you know, the NFL now is athleticism. It's all about being an athlete and, uh, it's not necessarily about tech technique. If you, it doesn't matter what how you how you look when you're doing it, as long as you get it done. So he was probably the best coach I ever had. Interesting. Let me, uh, I want to go back to Parcells. Were you around around when he he got the nickname Tuna? You remember how that happened? Yeah, yeah, because he was fat. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, I'm trying to remember. It might have been. Um, trying to remember was i mean it was it was he was named by his own linebackers you know he was a linebacker coach and and they started calling him tuna and uh he was not a a, a, a physical specimen that's for sure <laughs> and he liked the and like i said and it didn't help that he was eating ice cream in this in the damn steam room in sauna <laughs> now, now steve nelson uh to, to go to elaborate a little bit more on it because he was one of the linebackers he said that um you know, after practice, they would all tell him, "Oh no, we don't. We don't have to run laps after practice, uh, Bill. We we never. We don't do it that way." And he said, "What do you think I am, Charlie the Tuna? You know, I think I want to buy that book <laughs> line and sinker." Uh, and that's how we got the name Charlie the Tuna from Sunkiss the Sunkiss Tuna commercial. And that's right. how. Yeah. By the time you guys came to to with to the defensive backs, he probably had already been nicknamed Tuna. Yeah. You know, I just thought it was because he was somewhat overweight. <laughs> Maybe it's a little bit of both. Yeah, <laughs> Tim. Yeah, I'll tell you what. He was he he when he came to the Patriots, he made a distinct difference in in our linebacker play, and and I don't think anybody that um, was associated with him was surprised when he became a successful head coach because he, um, it, you know, he he reminded me uh, of of Larry Weaver in his terms of. Uh, technique and knowledge and 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 how he was coaching the guys instead of just you know reading the playbook and telling them to go back to page 47 and read what it says you know he he could help you uh, actually become a better player Tim I don't know I know that the, the National Football League has taken great uh, pains to improve the offense and made you know rule changes they've done all kinds of things to put more offensive uh, offense back in the game and put more pressure on guys like you in, in the safety position or playing defense. What do you think has been the most significant thing that has made the game a much more offensive game? What? Well, well, probably the two most significant things is the inability to hit guys. I mean, we used to be able to hit a guy in the head and, you know, hopefully uh, in, in those days, you know, you would, you would actually try to knock a guy out. Um, it, it's not that you wanted to hurt him, but if you could get him on the sidelines and you got to play against the, 
the second string, you know, you've done your team a service. So, um, you know, there was a, I mean, it sounds uh, crass, but I mean, we used to try to knock people out of the game. I mean, that's, but you can't, you can't do that today. You'll get thrown out of the game if you do that. Uh, and then the ability to, uh, to, to hit players at the line of scrimmage. I mean, um, Lester Hayes was probably the most famous uh, bump and run player of all time. And he used, was very adept at getting up on, get, getting in your face and playing bump and run and, and jamming you at the line of scrimmage and then running with you down the field. Uh, those, those days are gone. I mean, you don't, you, you can't, you can't touch the receivers anymore. So not only can you not touch them at the line, you can't touch them or you can't really hit them uh, like you'd like to hit them uh, after, after they catch the ball. So they can be somewhat fearless, you know, uh, uh, going up for a high ball or, or worrying about running the slant pattern because they don't have to worry about getting hurt or they, or they don't worry about it. And occasionally it happens, but not very often. Yeah. Interesting. Let me, uh, let me ask you about the, the Chuck Fairbanks era. And uh, it came to a crashing end. Um, but how good was that team in 76, 77, 78? Well, that 76 team was the best team I ever played on. And, I, you know, I played on some pretty good teams, both in San Diego and, and L.A. Um, <clears throat> but it had just, <clears throat> to me, it had the right combination of, of, uh, uh, of experience with uh, enthusiasm. We had... You know, we had three number one picks that year. It was Mike Haynes, myself, and, and uh, Peter Brock. And wow. uh, we, had, we had a lot of really good young players uh, that had been drafted ahead of us. Um, and to me, that was the best best team I played on. And, and frankly, we should have won the Super Bowl that year. You know, we got that was the year we, we got screwed in, in, uh, in Oakland after we just spanked Oakland during the regular season. And then, yeah. uh, you know, un unfortunately – uh, it was my first year in the league, and I remember riding home on that plane after that Oakland game, thinking, "Man, this is anything like college football." I think, you know, I honestly thought that game was fixed. I, I just thought that there was no way that they were going to allow us to win that football game, and 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 the refs did everything in their power to keep us from from winning it. And and that was, I never felt that way again, you know, in in the next eleven years, but. After that game, boy, I, I I was convinced that there was just no way we we're going to win that game. But that was that was by far, I think, uh, our our be uh, my best team. And you were asking about uh, Chuck Fairbanks, and and Chuck was uh, uh, was was an excellent coach, but more so uh, the executor of coaching than being uh, an X's no guy. He hired the best uh, assistants he could hire. And, you know, there are a lot of uh, head coaches that are afraid to hire really good assistants because they're going to make them look bad. And we really had, <clears throat> I think, at one point in that, in that, if you look at that 76 coaching staff, I think five of those guys went on to be head coaches in the NFL. <clears throat> and so he would oversee the whole platform and then let the coaches do what they do. And, uh, and he was very good at it. And he was, uh, again, more of an administrator than an actual X's and O's coach. So tell, tell me about the end when um, Billy Sullivan discovered that Chuck had been negotiating with Colorado. And he got fired. I think it was before the 
Miami game on, on the road, right? Um, yeah. And uh, legend has it that you had two pregame. The offensive coordinator gave a pregame, gave a pregame speech, and everybody got up and got ready to charge out in the field. The defensive coordinator had to give, give a speech, too. It was kind of a confusing time. But run that by us. Yeah, it, it was. They had uh, they had uh, dueling uh, uh, pregame pep talks. And uh, it was that was definitely a strange time. I don't know if you, that it will ever happen again in the NFL, but to have uh, the offensive coordinator run the offense and no head coach. Uh, but to be honest with you, things really didn't change that much because that's the way we ran every game. I mean, the, the offense coordinator did the offense, the defensive coordinator did the defense, and Chuck just kind of oversaw everything. So the only thing we were missing there was Chuck overseeing things. Um, but that was uh, – yeah, that was a very strange strange time, and it was certainly disruptive for that team. Um, I think, you know, ended up bringing in or, or leaving Ron Earhart at the helm, and I, and I, and I think that was a good call um, because it was between Earhart and I think uh, – Hank Bulla was our was our defensive coordinator, and Ron was much more of a head coach than Hank Bulla would have been, and uh, and I thought Ron did a good job. I mean, you know, it, it, he uh, went through a lot of uh, you know there was a big transition there when uh, uh, when everything turned over and it's and the team was being turned over and there's just a lot of distractions going on and and it was unfortunate because we had a pretty good nucleus at the time. And something we should have been able to build on. And and, and Fairbanks came back and coached the Oilers playoff game, right? Yes, yes, he he did. He did come back. <laughs> yeah, even though he was fired, he came back. And uh, but you know, we everyone could tell his heart wasn't in it. You know, and 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 that was a very disappointing loss for us because uh, we we really felt like uh, we had the better team then, but. Didn't, you know, you got to win the games uh, to, to be the champs, and we didn't win that one. Timmy, I got a question also, uh, a much a serious matter uh, about CTE and the BU study, and I know you've been a really outspoken person about that, but I'll let Mike do the George Gray commercial first, and then we'll get into that, all right? So you know what's coming next, so I, I give you, uh, you know. That's all right. I'll forget it by the time you get back. <laughs> that's, that's a, it's a joke, but it's not a joke. And that's <laughs> all right. Lynchy, take it away. You know, if you're thinking about a new car, go where Lobie and Lynchy go. Go see our friend George Gray at George yeah. Gray's Lexington Toyota. We've been customers for years because we know George Gray will treat you right. They are a family-owned and operated dealership that we trust and you can trust as well. Go see the great George Gray at Lexington Toyota. 409 Mass Ave in Lexington. George is a big sports fan. You'll probably wind up talking about the Patriots for, for 45 minutes. And at the end, he'll say, oh, yeah, and uh, here's the price in the car. And you'll shake hands, and you'll have yourself a deal. So there you go. All right. Do you remember where we were, the Tim? Yes, the best of I have. Memory, organization, all these things. CTE is very serious a matter. And certainly as it applies to former National Football League players and hitters like yourself. And are you – who wouldn't be concerned about this? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I am. I am concerned. I, I notice. Uh, I mean, I've noticed for years that I have some deficiencies in trying <clears throat> trying to remember things. More, uh, more of an issue with uh, 
with the most recent things that just happened. Uh, I, I forget things. I mean, like I, I can remember football 20 years ago, that 40 years ago, I, that those memories are all still very vivid, but it's just doing things uh, in your everyday life. You know, where you put your car keys, why you walked into that room, what you were, you know, you, you walk in the room cause you with a purpose and then you get in there and you go, uh, hmm, what was I going to get in here? I don't, I don't remember. Um, so yeah, I've been, you know, I've been concerned about it for probably the last uh, 10 years. Uh, and I feel, uh, I certainly feel a progression that is not progressing in a, in a good way. Uh, the unfortunate thing is there's just not a lot that the NFL can do for you. And, you know, they, they have this so-called program uh, and they have, so-called compensation for, for, for players that, that struggle, but it's next to impossible to qualify. You know, I, I've been tested and I said, well, you know, you have some deficits, but, uh, uh, you know, we think you're, think you're fine. The, the, the problem is they, they test you at that point. They don't know, they don't know where you were to begin. So, you know, you, you may end up testing, average or below average but if you you know if you started way above that that's a big drop off um so there's there's no what what they should do is baseline testing for everybody that plays in the league and then watch them unfortunately as they deteriorate or if they deteriorate and i think you know they're doing a a a decent job of trying to eliminate the head issues by trying to minimize people getting hit in the head, but it's still an intrinsic part of the game and it's going to continue to be a problem. And I think it's going to be more of a problem <clears throat> in the next few years with the guys of my era and a little bit obviously after, and even a little bit before, because these uh, rules hadn't been put in until, you know, the last, five to 10 years. So uh, I think we're going to see players continue to, to, to deteriorate. And, you know, I feel like uh, uh, I struggle with it on a day-to-day basis. You know, like me talking to you, you probably wouldn't notice it, but <clears throat> I, 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 struggle. <laughs> I definitely struggle with, with uh, certain things. <clears throat> you talk to your teammates about this. Like Steve Nelson, I know is big, very concerned about it as well. Yeah. I mean, we all, we, we talk about it. Uh, we have to try to remember to talk about it. Um, the, uh, you know, they're all very similar situations. And the question is, you know, what can you do about it? And you know, there's ongoing research trying to determine, you know, what can be done, what might help. Uh, they still haven't definitively uh, defined uh, a, a definition of CTE. I mean, they, um, they can't, uh, diagnose it when you're still alive. They can't tell uh, uh, definitely what your brain looks like until you're dead and they cut open your brain and they do a, an autopsy and they look at the brain cells and they can see, you know, at what level you were at. And, you know, I, I encourage players to donate their brains. I've donated mine um, so that they can 
you know, when you hear these complaints from players as they're progressing through life and then progress <clears throat> through death, and then you can actually compare what they're saying to what their brain looks like, um, and then you can try to get some type of idea of, all right, if the, this guy's complaining of this, he probably has the same stuff that this guy had, and we've already confirmed it by looking at his brain. So it's a complicated subject, and it's one that, to be honest with you, the NFL does, you know, they'll give it lip service, but they don't want to tackle it because it's a huge liability for them. Uh, let me ask you, Jim, what, uh, what did you wear? A, a suspension helmet, a water helmet, um, foam pad helmet? Did it progress as it went along? What can you remember? Yeah, it, it progressed for years. I mean, we, you know, in college and for the first couple of years in the NFL, I played what they, they called it a suspension helmet, yeah. which <clears throat> what that meant is you had straps yeah. that went to a, a, a little pad on the top of your helmet that was attached with a shoestring. Yeah. Well, guess what? <laughs> that shoestring breaks about about half the time when you hit somebody really hard. And yeah. now you now that your skull is going going against the plastic and that doesn't work out too good. Yeah. So you go back, you go back to the sidelines and they get another shoestring out of, you know, some kid that's not going to play, you take it out of his shoe and they restring your helmet and then they put you back in. And yeah. you you know, you don't know what down it is or what yard line you're on, but you're back in the game. So yeah, it was Riddell made that right. Riddell had right. yes, yes. And then there so was, was a helmet. Then they went to the then they went to, to the water helmet that yes. had compartments yes. that when you hit it, it would squirt water into different areas. And, um, and yeah, air, I tried. You I tried that. Right, that one. That one broke. <laughs> so with the earphones so, or the water uh, that in the air. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah. Well, guess what? The water pump broke on me. You come to the sideline soaking wet. The air, air, you pop those very easily. That's not, that's, so. Then they went to this different levels of foam, you know, a hard foam, a, uh, a medium foam, and then a really soft foam, and then you put it on. That was supposed to be the, that was the last thing I wore. I, God knows what they're wearing today. I actually looked at my, <clears throat> my grandson is playing pop water football in Rentham. And I looked at it. He had his helmet here at my house the other day. And I looked at the helmet. And I said, oh, my God. This helmet literally weighed 20 pounds. I don't even know how you could play in this helmet. But, I, you know, it's the latest and greatest. And hopefully it protects his brain. Have you been in touch with BU? Has their study, uh, they reached out to you? I know since you've had. Not for a while. I, I, I went through that testing years ago. And um, uh, I used to uh, communicate with uh, I'm trying to remember the guy that was running the program. Um, but well, I, I, got, I can't remember his name either, so don't worry yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was a little more coherent. I probably could remember his name. But And there was a, a one specific doctor that was kind of leading the charge. But I think that has, uh, to a large degree, unfortunately, has been taken over by the NFL. And so it's been kind of pushed to the side. This is kind of a morbid question, but you said you donated your brain. But who have you donated it to? Uh, the, the, the BU, uh, whatever I, I, that they, I assume it still exists, although I haven't had much contact with them over the last three, four years. Uh, I'm sorry to have to even bring it up, but it's just such a fascinating subject. And it, it really has gone under the 
it, it really hasn't been talked about much in the last couple of years, but it's got to be a concern to people like yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, I th that's it, that's by design, believe me. You know, they they've made the changes in the league that they think will help alleviate that situation, and they won't have the same problems that they have with players of my uh, genre. But um, uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of guys my age that are you know, it's like a ticking time bomb, just kind of waiting to to uh, explode. I mean, one of one of my best friends is a guy by the name of Billy Johnson who played for the Patriots back in the '60s. Yeah. And um, you know, he, he can't tell you what day it is, uh, and, and it's unfortunate. He, but, you know, he's the happiest guy I know because he doesn't have a care in the world, which is great. Um, but, you know, it's, they'll ask you the same question every 30 seconds and, and forget that you ever answered the question. So it's, uh, I, I, you know, I look at him and I, and I kind of model myself after his progression to, to my progression, and it's a, it's a scary thing. Last time I was with him, he stood behind me and pulled my pants down. <laughs> we were at Davio's, I think. I think he, probably got a kick out of, he got a kick out of it. You're lucky he didn't do it twice. <laughs> I'm going, what the hell just happened? My pants are down around my ankles, and he was laughing his ass off. have <laughs> some of the greatest memories, Mike. I don't know. <laughs> Tim, okay. I, I certainly want to reassure you that you did a a fabulous job with us today. So, uh, and I'm very conscious of your concerns, but boy, I didn't see any of it to, uh, in our conversations here. And I well, think I that, we're talking about things 40 years ago. <laughs> don't ask me what I did yesterday. <laughs> well, don't, hey, well, I'm not that much older than you are. Unless it's the same thing, but we got the same problems too. But it's I'm maybe, the same age. The 53 you were born, Tim? Uh, what's that? 1953. Is that when you were born? 53. 53 that's correct. Yeah, yep. that's when I was born too. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we're in the same. Probably boat. older than me because I'm November. I'm September. That's okay. Why don't you guys uh, swap birthday cards? You will part, but you know what? We're we still. That guy over there, he's he, he's got us at both feet. <laughs> let me go. Back, let me go back to the Oakland game, okay? Can, can I run yeah. back? Can I just go back to the uh, Oakland game? The uh, Villapiano Ben Dreith game, right? That's what we're talking about. Yep. Sugar tell Bear me, Hamilton, Sugar Bear. Tell, yeah. me why, tell me why you feel the way you did about that going on the plane, going back. Oh, I got to remember all the different things. I mean, there were, you know, first it was the Ray Hamilton roughing the passer, which was just a complete joke. Um, That's that, the Ben Dreith call, right? That's the Ben, ben Dreith right. call. Yeah. That call was, you know, that call would be made today, no question, but it was never made back then. I mean, he was just trying to block the ball and came down and happened to touch him in the head, but it wasn't like a, it was a glancing blow. It was nothing more than that, but there were even more than that. There was a, there was a fumble on the goal line and we had recovered it and they said the ball was dead and it clearly was not dead. Um, it just was a painful game to play in because just every call went against us, just every call. And, you know, I wish I could remember more specifically some of the other ones that, um, but I remember there was something that had to do with Russ Francis. He, he either, uh, he got called for something that was just ludicrous. And they, you know, they, we kept getting called for holding and they were holding like crazy. And that I'm telling you that game was fixed. I, I, 
I've never, awesome. I never felt, felt that way again for the rest of my career, but they, we were just not going to win that football game. That's unbelievable. Well, I, no, I think it's a significant point. I'm really glad we had you on here today. Richie, you must... let, me, let me ask you one, one question. There's always a guy that you never want to tackle because he's the hottest runner and the most punishing runner if you're a defensive player. Who was it for you in the NFL that you never wanted to see come at you one-on-one -on -one with the football? Uh, that by far was Earl Campbell. Because, <laughs> you know, Earl was so big and strong. You know, he probably weighed 40 pounds more than me. Could run as fast as I could. And, you know, most times with uh, backs, particularly big backs like him, when you come up to make the tackle, you don't want to hit them head on because it's going to hurt <laughs> and, and you might have to leave the game. So what you do is you come up you with one shoulder or the other shoulder and that running back will instinctively see that you're on this side and you know, he's going to go to that side and you can cut him off at the pass, but you couldn't do that with Earl cause he was too fast. So if you came up on one side and you gave him that side, he could get right by you, And, Oh God! I remember one of the worst missed tackles I've ever had in the league was uh, on the goal line playing them in that playoff game, and we were down at the. I remember it, man, like it was yesterday. We were at the closed end of the stadium, and they ran an off tackle play, and it opened up, and it was me and him, head on, and 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 I knew it would, we were right at the goal line, and we were in you know, two or three yard line, and, and if I gave him a step, he was still he was going to get into the end zone even if I made the tackle. So I had to take him head on and he hit me head on and literally knocked me on my back, stepped on my chest and then ran into the end zone. And it was the most <laughs> embarrassing missed tackle I ever had in my whole career. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Thanks so for who's, it up. who's the toughest guy you ever played with? <laughs> What's that? Who's the toughest guy you ever played with on the same team? Uh, on the same team. I would say probably Nelly. Nelly, Nelly was, uh, he took a lick and boy, he just kept playing and kept playing and kept playing and kept playing. And uh, when he went out the one year, um, Billy Matthews took his place and I love Billy and Billy was a good player, but he was no Steve Nelson. And, and we, you know, you missed his, we missed his athletic ability, his uh, fierceness, but, and his leadership. It was tough. I think at that point I had to make the calls and that was always a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's always great to have a favorite D a DB to have a great linebacker in front of you. You make less tackles, but you stay healthy longer, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. That, and that was, that was the year. <clears throat> that was the year I led the team in tackles with 120 tackles. So <laughs> of course we were, we were two and 11. So that's not saying much or two and 14. That's what it was. Did the ownership, did the unstableness of the ownership ever bother you guys, or was did it ever filter down to you? Um, to a degree, only you know when it came down to negotiating contracts. You know, it was um, it was always a, a struggle to get money out of the Sullivans. I mean, because it wasn't there, so they they were they were dependent upon uh, you know year to year that the team would do well so that they could make payroll and that stuff. So it was, uh, yeah, negotiating a contract was always, was always a struggle. I remember, you know, I had a three-year contract to begin with, and, and uh, 
that was a very tough uh, negotiating. And then in my sixth year, when I that contract ran out, that's when I got traded because they didn't want to pay me what uh, anywhere near what I was, you know, could have gotten the open market. And that's when San Diego made the trade. They, oh, sure, we'll give them that much money. That's easy, you know. But it was too much for the Patriots. Well, this was fascinating. Um, oh, by the way, Tim, guess where uh, Lobel went? I saw a picture. He went and saw the movie Barbie this weekend. Well, doesn't make me. How was it? You know what? It was a damn good movie, really. Despite <laughs> despite the fact that you couldn't take your eyes off of Margot Robbie, <laughs> it was uh, it was a hell of a movie. It was really interesting, uh, to tell you the truth. And Based on you. Based on your daughters, what's that? Based on your recommendation, I'll take my two granddaughters to see it. I think that's a great thing. That's a great take. I think it'd be good for all of you. Yeah, it's great. Good move. That's why I'm wearing pink today in honor of Barbie. In honor of uh, yeah. Obi went to see it. Yeah, good move, Tim. That's a, that, that's that's a good move. <laughs> Should I take my grand my my grandsons as well? I think, he, I think absolutely. I think they get they need to see this movie too. There's. No, Michael, stop it. I'm telling you. Do you see it, Mike? No. Okay, then. What? You better. You're out of the conversation. Well, you're a movie critic, right? You're, you're you're everything. I'm just, you know. I'm uh, just saying, his grandsons would benefit as much as his granddaughters would. It's a movie. I, it's, I it's will. A, uh, you know what? It's about the, the doll Barbie, but it's it's got many much more social implications than than that. Okay. Did you ever think we'd be sitting here, Tim, talking about Barbie? Mark, you got to see the movie, Michael. I'm just saying. I, I will. Uh, I'm going to price for admission alone. I'm going to take. I'm going to take all four, but it's probably going to cost me about fifty bucks. So well, that's, that's uh, what you got to worry about. I know it cost me that, and I had to, and we had dinner beforehand, so you can just imagine. <laughs> Would you have like mac and cheese or what? <laughs> you know, smart nachos. You know the usual stuff. Just don't let Billy Johnson pull your pants down while you're while you're yes. Jesus, Mike. <laughs> hey Tim, great job. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. Awesome. The only reason Mike remembers that's because he was so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, I promise you I'll never do that to you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, it's harder to get him down these days. <laughs> it is. <laughs> He's Thanks. no credit. Yeah. Good job, yeah. buddy. Awesome. Right. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah. Great job. Hi, everybody. We'll see you next week on Unnagged. Unacred Boston is a presentation of Unacred Media, a Burke Advertising LLC company. For show information, visit unacredboston.com.